Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. And good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners, back again with another one of our Thursday podcasts for the HR on the Offensive podcast. As always, delighted that you can join us. Today, we're going to talk change, all things change. And I've roped in two Lace ringers who are change management experts for today's pod, as well as a very, very special guest who I'm going to introduce in a moment. But... As you will, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, as you will be no doubt aware, we always have a duet hosting these podcasts. Today's duet, making his debut duet, is our wonderful director, Ed Sparks. Ed, how are you, sir? Hello. I am ecstatic and pleased and proud to finally have made it onto your list of podcast guests. I feel you're not really somebody until you've made it on here. So this is it. This is my crowning glory today. Yes, indeed. You and I are going to be the partners in crime for today. But we've roped in another one of our change experts because actually she just was desperate to get on, weren't you, Liz? So uh, that's why we've got uh, the wonderful Liz Bailey from uh, Lace Partners. Liz, you all right? Yes, very good. Thank you. Uh, excited to talk all things change management and specifically, we're going to go into a little bit of change analytics too. I'm very excited. It's one of my favourite topics. It actually is. She's not just saying that. She genuinely does get passionate <laughs> exactly. about it. <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant stuff. Right. Well, let's bring our guest in. And our guest today is Colin Sloman. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at an organisation called Cognition, who you guys are in the wider world will probably not be aware, but uh, at Lace Partners, we've been uh, running a little internal competition um, around social media. I won't go into too much detail on that, but uh, just as somebody who has experienced the Cognition platform myself, it is a very, very good and interesting platform. So what I'm going to do is Colin's going to talk to us his thoughts on all things change management, how it's been reinvented, the impact of change analytics. But Colin, before we go into all of that sort of stuff, let's do a little bit of a check-in. So uh, nice to meet you and uh, tell our listeners, our lovely listeners, a little bit about yourself, your background, and then we'll talk a little bit about cognition and then we'll go into change analytics. Thanks, Chris, and thank you very much for inviting me on today's uh, podcast. There are a couple of familiar uh, faces and voices here from me. Uh, There was an amazing podcast, which I probably lost to the mists of time, that I recorded with Ed in the past when uh, he and I were both at Accenture. And great to uh, see you again, Liz. Uh, We've had a few chats in the past. A little bit about me. I, as I suggested, 22 years at Accenture. Before that, I was an advertising man. I don't know how you get from advertising to, well, these days you probably can easily get from advertising to Accenture, but uh, I joined when I was Anderson Consulting and I was in the change management practice since my first days. And my last job was the global head of the change management or talent and organization practice globally. So responsible for a, a very, very interesting time in uh, Accenture's life. After that, I was recruited to Aramco, Saudi Aramco, as an HR director, responsible for all things related to talent, leadership, culture and diversity, working with the uh, the board and looking at succession and some very, very interesting topics as the company went through its biggest change, which was to list on the stock exchange. So we went through one of the largest or the largest IPO of all time. And that was back in, I think, 2019, 2020. In 2016, I had 
brought Cognition into Accenture because I saw them as a, a fantastic digital accelerator. I met the CEO, the founders, Patrick and Barry Caton, and uh, I was really impressed with what they did. And I became a client. We used them for a number of projects from 2016, 2017 until I left at that time. And, and that relationship has continued on. And when I left Aramco, I returned back to London. Patrick uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, whatever you were thinking you were going to do, forget that, come and work for us. And uh, I've been delighted to uh, be part of that the last 18 months or so. Brilliant. And then just linking to that. So, uh, I mean, first of all, it's to my lasting regret that I didn't save the recording of you discovering live on air on our first podcast what Netflix and chill was. I feel that's a loss to humanity that we don't have that anymore. But in terms of cognition and what you do there, just just tell us a little bit about cognition and, and their role. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, it's a digital accelerator for organizational change. We call ourselves an activation platform. We're not an LMS. We're not an LXP. In some ways, uh, we call us a doing platform in, in that we're not just pure learning. We're about mindset and behavior change and also any skill sets that you're trying to develop. So it's truly about getting people to do things differently. One of the frustrations, and we'll probably talk about this as we get into the change topic, one of my frustrations over my 30-year career in change was you uh, you have a great plan you execute you what i call hit and hope in other words you know you, you you do all your comms and your training and the rest of it and your workshops and everything else and you cross your fingers and hope that a client doesn't ask you to come and explain exactly how you're delivering this change the complete antithesis of that method is what cognition does in that we design specific behavioral challenges and then we get people to do the challenge we then get them to come back and confirm that they've done the challenge reflect on it and actually engage with their peers on how that change has actually landed or that specific activity has actually landed so that we get this reinforcing effect which is quite different from if you like the hidden hope method in the last six months, there are two topics which I seem to be repeatedly coming across. And in the last, certainly this side of the year, one of the topics which we will get into, but let's, let's focus on the analytics side first. One of the topics is AI. I, I can't look left, right, centre, up, down, round and round without somebody talking about AI for some reason. Now, we may get onto that further down the line in our line of questioning, but I want to talk more about the analytics stuff, change analytics. And I want, Colin, if you can just, and then maybe Liz afterwards, just give us any thoughts from your side, but start with Colin. Just talk to our listeners about what we're talking about when we mention change analytics, because what we talk about, at least we talk about people data, people analytics, we've written a white paper on some of the challenges that analytics teams are facing. But if I'm a CPO listening in now, and you're talking to me about change analytics, what, what are we what are we reflecting on? Well, the most important thing is to ask the question, what are you trying to achieve? and defining that in terms that are specific enough. Let's say it's a leadership development program. What leadership behaviors am I trying to see appear in my organization and in my leaders? And can I be specific enough to say, there are five things I want them to do. I want them to behave in more an enterprise mindset. I want them to be more innovative. I want them to be more collaborative, whatever that might be. Having picked up your um, leadership framework from maybe a third party consultant or advisor, how do you bring those to life and then how do you make them manifest? In other words, are they happening? 
And then how can you measure that they're happening? And how can you report back to the board that I'm talking about? I was reluctant to go see before. How could you go and actually stand in front of them and say, here is the actual data that uh, the folks that we were targeting have done the thing that we wanted them to do. So the way that we tackle that is to be very specific in the design. So we call a, we'll call the design work around activation outcomes. So we would typically see three to five to seven activation outcomes. You might have called them learning outcomes in the past, but specific activation outcomes. And then for each of those, what specific behaviors are we trying to drive? Once we've defined those behaviors, we then design challenges, usually uh, on a multi-day format, or there might be one a week, or there might be an intervention that's going over a number of weeks or months. And then we, we track whether that activity, that specific challenge, we give them someone to do, they go do it, they come back and tell us they've done it, they then reflect on it by tech, uh, writing text and reflections into the platform. We then analyze the tasks that were done and, and measure those. And we also analyze the text using natural language processing and AI to look at theme sentiment. And we come up with two indices. And I'm glad you mentioned AI, Chris, because we have AI as well. It's called our activation index, just to confuse everybody. And we also <laughs> and we also have a commitment index, CI. So we're really at the end of a program like the one you're running or the ones that we do every day with uh, our clients. At the end of a program, we can measure what is the level of activation we've created for that specific change in the company. And we can benchmark that against other typical change in interventions. And usually that number is somewhere between 60 and 80%. And with some types of programs, we get to 80, sorry, 80 to 100%. And I can explain a little bit about that. And then the commitment index is a subset of that where we overlay the natural language processing and the AI analysis to uh, identify what levels of emotional commitment and engagement have we achieved through the words that people have written, the sentiment they've written, the themes that we can extract. And that is another number that we can benchmark and we can report out. So at our essence, that's what we call change analytics for our programs. Nice. Liz, just from your point of view, what, is, what does change analytics mean to you? Yeah, so from my perspective, I think that one of the most important things, the thing that I'm seeing more often now on programmes than, than we used to, is the fact that actually when we get analytics, we get some data through, which means that actually, so Colin, I'm really interested as to your view around actually as you go along, rather than all the analytics and the data coming at the end, is it means that you can course correct. So having analytics shows you whether your change interventions are working and you can course correct. So whether it be the training, whether it be the communications and engagement. So Colin, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in your view on that. In addition to those results at the end, we also have real-time data coming through every day mm -hmm. on a real-time basis. So if we wanted to know how many LACE partner people had done the thing we wanted them to do today in the, today's challenge, we have a, a dashboard, we can go in, we can look, and in aggregate, we can see how many people have been have, have done the, today's task. If, let's say, we're looking at a global company and marketing in France haven't done what we wanted to do, we can intervene today and say, okay, mm -hmm. let's rev up marketing in France or the senior leader leadership uh, in North America don't seem to be engaging with this. Let's intervene today and go in and, and fix that before we get to the end when we do our, our detailed analysis. Which is just hugely powerful, isn't it? You can't underestimate the ability to be able to measure progress and adjust and really dig deeper into areas where potentially change isn't being adopted or, or driven. But then 
I mean, Colin, as you know, it's the curse of the change manager to accept their fate as being a member of the happy, clappy, fluffy, lovey, cuddly stream. And we've always rejected that, but there is a certain stigma that goes with that. And there's quite a few people within the change management profession who probably don't see themselves as particularly good with the numbers and the and the scientific side of things. Are you saying that there's a sea change here in, in what a change manager needs to be and the skills they need to exhibit? Is that what you're suggesting? I think you might have heard me say this before, Ed, but absolutely. Because if you are going to put 10 grand, 100 grand, 10 million, 5 million, whatever the number is against your transformation, you've got to be able to stand up and say, have we been successful in making this change happen? Did people do the thing we wanted to do, like adopt Workday? We spent $100 million on Workday. Are we actually getting the value out of it? Every client you will ever talk to will be asking that question or success factors or any other technology or any other sort of behavioral intervention new operating model. The question is, did we get there and did we get value out of it? And in my view, you haven't done change management until you've actually achieved a change and be able to report out. And actually, what that's why I was so excited when I met cognition team because we were immediately we had data and then the last 18 months or so i've been working with the the data science team in cognition to actually turn that that amazing data into these two indices which i think are going to be revolutionary in the way that people talk about change and Liz, I mean, you know, to the casual listener, this may seem obvious that change management would need to prove themselves and prove their success, but it actually is a relatively new concept in that traditionally the change management stream exists. And, you know, we try to do a good job and make sure people have heard the message. But are you seeing this come through in your client conversations in the sort of bids and proposals we put in? Is this a key part now? Yeah, I would say that it is actually. So I think quite rightly, there should be a question around what you bring to the table. So if people are investing in a change team, then you need to be able to, it needs to be more than the pink and fluffy. And I think that actually having the kind of tools that we're talking about here make a big difference. And what it actually does, what I really love about it, is going back to what Colin was saying, is it gets people thinking up front, what is the behavioural change? So by thinking about how are we going to measure it, gets them think. So quite often, program change programmes, a delivered transformation delivered without a good vision of what the change looks like how do we know we've been successful so to ask the questions which lead onto the data that's required up front gets that thinking gets that mindset and that's what i love about it as well this is a question i'll ask back to colin but then also perhaps back to you as well liz so you guys meet and talk to change managers all of the time and as ed said in his question earlier about the skills needed these mm. analytical skills to develop how many of the many many change managers that you talk to on a daily basis are properly exhibiting these skills i'll start with colin and i'll ask liz as well how many do you see that you say actually these guys they have evolved they are delivering this step change I think the way to look at that is the conversation always turns to measuring change. How will we know we've achieved the outcome that we are seeking? And, and in my mind, they may or may not know how to do that. They might look at a, a framework like Kirkpatrick or they might look at some other model. And those models, you like to say awareness, understanding, buying, commitment or something, something simple like that. That's fine. It doesn't tell you how to do it. Whereas actually we've we've got a method that will actually tell you how to do it. And then the question is, how do you measure that? And we've also got an answer to that. So I'm dodging your question about who's how many people have got the skills. I think they have the... Mm -hmm. The desire and the intent, but we're talking about, and actually, but, but you know, a lot of the time we go and talk to a client about the investment required to do proper measurement, and they're not that interested. Whereas actually, 
our programs, there's no cost. It's a button that the, the press at the end of the program and you get that's a standard report. So I think we haven't designed for results and we haven't designed for outcomes and we haven't designed for behaviors in the past. But that's that's where I think things are very, very different when you tackle it in a different way. Yeah, I'd agree. I, def- I definitely think from the people that I work with and, you know, we've we've got great change managers in LACE, I think that there's absolutely the desire, the intention, the recognition of the importance of change analytics. I think one of the areas potentially that I see out in the market more when I'm working with other change managers is that the ability to be able to interpret the findings. So that's great. One of the, the, one of the areas actually that our analytics, people analytics paper highlighted is change professionals and HR professionals are absolutely overwhelmed with da- incoming data at times. So it's not necessarily that the data doesn't exist. It's just that it's not structured. They don't know how to interpret it or it's interpreted wrongly, which is actually more dangerous than not having data at all. In terms of skill sets, definitely around that. I'd agree with with absolutely with what Colin's saying. So the, the desire is there because we need to prove ourselves, right? So time and time again, change managers, from my perspective, is, is there's a need to prove that what we're doing is, you know, it's, we're worth investing in. So Colin, what do you so, think? <laughs> uh, I'm sick of hearing we need to prove ourselves because I think it's been the topic <laughs> for all 30 years of my career. However, I think not only do we need to show the change as working and happening and people are doing it and there there is commitment, but I would also go another step, which is what business metrics are we driving? And let's report those alongside it. So for example, the first project I did way back when with, uh, with Ed and, and the Accenture team, we actually measured using an A-B test what happened happens if you use cognition in the 30-day challenge for onboarding for new consultants versus the traditional method, which was two weeks of death by PowerPoint in a in a dungeon somewhere in uh, in central London. Strangely enough, we were able to prove that um, together they were actually much more powerful than, than separately. And they moved metrics like client billable hours. Within three months, we were seeing a 5% uplift in client billable hours, also general chargeability, and also less manager overhead in which is a qualitative measure, but are these people better prepared to do the work that you want them to do? Yes, that means managers don't have to spend time looking after young consultants who don't know which end of the pencil to use. Maybe that's the wrong analogy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so those business enough. metrics are just as important. And when we look at things like cybersecurity, when we use a cognition intervention for cybersecurity, we're looking for vulnerabilities that have actually been resolved, not did they flick through some slides. Yeah. So at the end, we're looking at the actual business metric. Did they change the password? We've got a metric on that. Did they clean up the the sharing on on their mobile phone, et cetera, et cetera. So real things that they did and business metrics that were achieved rather than sort of general stuff. And Colin, a lot of this that you're talking about would would occur at the end of a project or a a transformation once the the element has gone live and and you're able to measure it. And I, I see the importance of that. Is there any component to analytics that should be deployed up front when it comes to readiness tracking or other components and different ways to use analytics before go live? Yeah, I think 
you could do something very similar around leadership alignment and getting getting people early and saying, okay, we're going on a cloud journey. What are your understanding and expectations about a cloud journey? What what benefits are you expecting to see? Let's get you aligned along those metrics. And we can actually use data again to, to understand, uh, do people understand what are we trying to achieve? Is there a consensus or, or a general agreement as to what the outcomes should be? what those metrics could be. That's a co-creation type of activity. Again, you might. we were asked recently about culture, uh, gathering data around what the future culture of a, a services firm might look like. And so using that as a way of gathering data to actually formulate the solution, which then would go on to the implementation. So yeah, I see, see that upfront as much as uh, through the program. And Liz, presumably this makes for tricky conversations and that I'm paraphrasing, but you can't turn around to senior leaders and be like, ah, oh, you're only 15% of the way to the culture that you say you want to. And, and you in particular, sir, are about 60% off target. How does this affect the, the more personal aspect of change? Yeah, but I think that part of actually what we do is having the difficult conversations and actually that the benefit of having the data behind that to have those conversations, I think is is can only so um, I I. It, it's how you use it, isn't it? As with all these things, is when you when you have information to hand, it's about the approach that you take. But actually, if we gain better alignment, and also I'm assuming, Colin, that what you get from that is you can you can see how leadership teams come together on alignment as you go through the transformation as well, because you can measure that as you go through. So I think having difficult conversations that are informed can only be a good thing. Yeah, I think it's otherwise you're back on the the hope part of the hidden hope in that uh, yeah. what we've we've sent out the comms and we hope everybody understands why we're making this change and why they need to change their operating model or their organization design or the technology or whatever or the culture. But it's not really any levels of confidence that they have. We've all heard this sort of waves of change thing. Well, waves wash over and then they recede and disappear. And then another one comes and another one comes. I think so many organizations have employees who are sitting there with the waves of change washing over. And they say, do I really need to do anything this time? Well, nobody's giving me, nobody's told me I have to do anything. So I'll just wait for the next wave and, 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 and on. And I think unless you intervene and say, okay, I've got something I want you to do right now, which manifests that new organization or the behavior or the, or the technology and don't test you through that process and have you done it, what was the experience, reflect and share. I think that's a, a much more likely to deliver an, an outcome and, and we can prove that. Yeah, and being clear, there is an action that I actually have to do with whatever the instance is, is really, really important. Because so often in my life, there's even simple meetings that I might do within LACE and you get to the end of it and everyone's had a jolly old conversation, but there is no outputs out of it. And so what you end up doing is you you park that under the, well, that was a good chat, but nothing's come of it. So that was effectively, if you talk about productivity, that was a waste of an hour of my time type of thing. Mm. So it is about giving people those clear communications and the actions across as well. I wanted to just knock us on a little bit into something which you put, we talked about it when we did a, because obviously we have a chat before we do these podcasts, Colin, and you've talked about 2020s as the decade of HR. I just wanted to got, get you to touch on that for our listeners, just as we're coming towards sort of the final five minutes of the pod, because I think it was an, that's an interesting kind of statement to make. So just talk about what you were reflecting on there, where you've written some pieces online around that. 
Yeah, well, as a career consultant and my sort of general skepticism of the HR function, I won't go into too much detail. However, when I became an HR director and sat in an HR leadership team and all the other people looked at me strangely and said, well, how long have you been doing HR? And I said, oh, this is my first job. I was able to reflect on the challenges that we're facing, which were significant. And then pandemic arrived and we had a whole bunch of extra curveballs thrown. I think anybody who's worked closely with HR functions know how tough that was, whether it was related to mental health or just working practices and so many things had to change, including working from home and motivation and many, many other things. So on my reflection after four years sitting in an HRLT and also um, then stepping away and looking at the what's happened related to the pandemic. Uh, you know, you see the things like the great resignation or what I prefer is a great reflection, how employees are thinking, hang on, do I really want to go into the office? Do I really want to do this type of work? Do I want to maybe go and do something different? The role of purpose and meaning and the challenge that throws back to HR to say, have we got jobs and, and roles and an organization that people can truly feel there's purpose and meaning in their their job. And then the quality of leadership, there was a, a light shone very brightly on the quality of leadership and management during the pandemic. And that just was thrown back at HR and said, okay, well, what? how can you make sure our leaders are actually doing more equipped to do this? So I just saw all of the context becoming more complex. And also if you throw in data, data literacy and data science back to our earlier conversation, and then you throw in things like DNI, not just being like a a thing, but actually we have to do this and all of the scandals, if you like, that are coming out around behaviours and misbehaviours. You know, I just, I felt like um, it was my responsibility to turn around and, and reverse my scepticism and say, actually, this is this is a tough gig, guys, and I really respect what, what's being done. And also the fact that how you, they're having to step up into a whole, whole new level as well. So that's a, that's a short answer. Something you said, Colin, I think in one of the articles you wrote was around how HR is shifting towards being custodians of people, human performance and behavioural science. And I loved that. I just think it's a really exciting time, actually, to be in HR. It's just incomparable to the HR of the old days. And I just that from my perspective, it's the way forward. So it's a it's a good time to be in HR and it has a massive impact, I think, in terms of the business as well. I felt my uh, scales fall off my eyes when I spent four years doing it and, and and struggling through it and also seeing how big a challenge that was laid out in front of us as well. So there you go. It's so strange, Colin, to, to hear you talking there about, you know, not only were you a management consultant, you were arguably the management consultant at one point in, in terms of all of this. And now you've, you've joined the other side. Is there anything that you wish you could tell your management consulting yourself when it comes to working with HR that you wish you'd done differently back in the day? Well, I, I think I was always very polite and, uh, <laughs> and and behave myself, but I think I would bring um, some of these skills to bear that we've been talking about, the data and analytics, the science. Um, I, I think there's there's a lot of stuff that's very uh, inefficient and not data data um, rich in the terms of decision making. So that's that's probably where I would go, probably safe ground as well. Very nice and a, and a lovely way to wrap up as well. Go back in time, talk to your younger self and say, AI and analytics and data, please spend your time knowing all there is to know about that. Because in 2023, that's all anyone's going to be talking about within the HR space. Listen, Colin, absolutely amazing uh, having you on today. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and it's great to see uh, the gang and uh, 
Chris, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast in preparation for this, and now you're on my podcast feed forever. So thanks for that. And uh, oh, I'm really good to see. <laughs> it's great to see Liz and Ed again, and uh, we'll speak to you all soon. Lovely, thanks, um, and Liz, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And finally, last but not least, my fellow okay. questioner, Ed. Good to have you on, mate. Yeah, hopefully I've earned an invite for next time. Who knows? But we'll you see. know you thank have. You, you know you have. <laughs> so thank you very much, guys. Hope you enjoyed that latest podcast from us. You can get access to any of our podcast back catalogue through Lace Partners website. That's lacepartners.co.uk forward slash insights. You'll see all of our blogs, our podcasts. We've got some uh, videos that we've just put up around workforce productivity that are worth a look in and looking into our latest campaign as well around workforce productivity. Hopefully you've enjoyed this as much as we've enjoyed recording it. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.